Good afternoon. Thanks so much for being with us. Hope you're having a good Thursday so far. Coming up on the program, we're going to talk more about how people can now apply for rental support from the province if you've lost income due to the COVID-19 pandemic. We're also going to talk about the call list. It was created by a Victoria woman to help out seniors who are feeling vulnerable and feeling isolated during this time. That and a lot more coming up on the program. But first, we are going to touch on one of the big stories today. And that is the numbers released by the Federal Public Health Agency, the projections that 11,000 to 22,000 Canadians could die of COVID-19 in the coming months. And that is the best case scenario that was outlined earlier today. Deputy Chief Public Health Officer Dr. Howard New says the first wave of the virus is likely not to end for months. If uh, uh, our, our best efforts are successful, then uh, possibly, hopefully, uh, the first wave will end by the summer. But it's not over. The Public Health Agency also says short-term estimates are more reliable, anticipating 500 to 700 total deaths in Canada by the end of the week. Let's bring in Daniel Coombs. He's been on the program before. He's a UBC professor with expertise in mathematical models of pandemic growth and control. He joins us once again on the line. Uh, Dr. Coombs, thank you so much. Or Daniel, thank you so much for being here and, and chatting with us today. Great. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, we've gotten some more modeling in the numbers released since the last time we talked to you. What do you take from the numbers we're hearing from the public health agency? Yeah, so so you just said that the short-term numbers are uh, likely to be more reliable than the long-term numbers, and I, I think that's definitely the case. However, um, the, the, I really like the uh, Public Health Agency of Canada report that came out today. Um, it provides a lot of information about how they're thinking about the epidemic and um, it, it describes, you know, the realm of possibilities uh, going forward. And one of the numbers that stuck out for me, too, was they said that even under the best case terms, the numbers were 4,400 to 44,000 Canadians could die of COVID-19. That, I think, for a lot of people, that seems like a huge range. Yeah, and that reflects um, a lot of the uncertainty around how well the physical distancing provisions are going to work in Canada. We've seen them working in other countries around the world. Um, I just heard that the uh, U.S. Public, Chief Public Health Officer, Anthony Fauci, uh, said that he believes the U.S. is starting to turn a corner with their restrictions. We are a little ahead of them, and I think especially in British Columbia, we are, we are doing better. We've seen the uh, slow downturn in hospitalizations and uh, ICU admissions over the past uh, week or so. Um, so but it, is, it is a very large spread, and I'm not entirely sure if the numbers they're reporting include the possibility of a second wave of, um, of deaths uh, during, during a second wave of the epidemic, perhaps after the summer. Right. And when you're modeling like this or making these projections, how much is, you mentioned New York and looking at other places, how much of it is looking at what we are currently dealing with as far as cases and deaths that we know of in Canada, but then also using numbers from around the world and other countries that might be on a slightly different timeline? Yes, we're, we're just about 100 days into, in, well, I'm about 100 days into even knowing about this epidemic. Uh, and there's we're forced because of the lack of reliable information to to to, to glean numbers from studies all around the world. Um, so, for example, you know, the uh, in order to estimate the the duration of time between somebody uh, getting infected 
and showing symptoms or actually even infecting somebody else, uh, we're largely relying on, on numbers that were estimated during the early phase of the epidemic in Singapore and in China. Now, those numbers seem to be uh, ref- reflecting pretty well the experience uh, that we have in Canada, but you're, you're completely right. We have to draw information in from a wide variety of sources. Right, because when we were talking about this earlier and there was uh, looking at other countries, there was the comparison made or the, the the projection made that Canada would have a trajectory closer to, say, South Korea than to what we're seeing in other countries. I hope so. <laughs> uh, and the indications in British Columbia right now are quite positive, and I think uh, Bunny Henry has, has been, been saying that in the, in the last few presentations. This is, of course, absolutely not the time to to slow down on what we're doing. We, we're just seeing the first, the first week of, of really improving numbers in British Columbia. And does it compare as well? I would think it must have to, looking at the measures. I mean, there's been so much talk about wearing masks, uh, the physical distancing, as opposed to a complete lockdown. And certainly there are places, uh, part of China, there have been, um, there's been much written about the complete quarantine. It must look at the differences, doesn't it, of, of the different responses? This is this is true. There have been different responses in different parts of the world, and so far, different outcomes. Although, interestingly, just in the past few days, Singapore has been reporting a big resurgence in cases after they, I think, really felt they had the epidemic under control pretty quickly after it spread there from China. I'd, I'd also like to draw attention to... Um, the, the distribution of cases among different age groups in different countries does seem to be quite different. And, uh, for example, uh, in Italy, there was a, you know, large numbers of cases uh, among the elderly population, and, and that led to, to a lot of deaths because, as, as we, I think, all know, the disease can be um, a lot more dangerous to, to older people. And right. so the, these differences can, um, you know, they can, it's not, it's not purely the, the uh, lockdown measures or, or self-isolation measures that places are taking. It's also how the disease has, has entered into their population so far. And when you mentioned Singapore seeing a spike, is that then, is that a spike in the first wave or is that, was there, do you need a bigger break or a, a bigger pause between the two to say that that country is on its second wave? If you asked me, I would say they're seeing, they're seeing a second wave coming in already. And, and does that help us then see around the world other places that we could see what Singapore did as far as if they relaxed measures or what it did that led to the second wave so quickly? It provides us with information. Uh, one of the things that I'm trying to work on over the next few weeks is, is trying to understand what will happen if, as, as, we, as we begin to lift measures in Canada and British Columbia. What did, we, what did the models, which are increasingly well-parameterized from the you know, wide amount of information that, that we're getting, uh, what, what, will the models, what do the models predict about what might happen, uh, for example, if we allow people to go back to work or you know, open schools, these kinds, of, these kinds of questions I think are going to come increasingly to the fore over the next few weeks. And in, in some ways we're fortunate to have the example of Singapore to look at because it gives us um, information about what could happen. And one more question. When we, when we get these predictions as well, because we hear anything from these measures will be in place at least until the end of August. We heard from the Prime Minister today saying it could be a year, it could be 18 months that we're going to have to keep distancing. Is it possible, given the information we have now, to make those projections? I don't think anyone can really make those projections with any confidence. You know, um, the, the, the different provinces and, and, and the Public Health Agency of Canada are releasing these 
you know, forward-looking predictions and showing the epidemic curves. But I, you know, I, I'm sure if we dig these documents back up again a year from now and compare to what actually happens, we'll, we'll find there are discrepancies, and by then we'll understand the reasons for the discrepancies. All right. We will leave it there. Uh, Daniel Coombs, look forward to tomorrow of your work coming out. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. All right. Daniel Coombs is a UBC professor with expertise in mathematical models of pandemic growth.